What is the relationship between Idaho and the University of Utah School of Medicine? Why did one of our graduates choose family practice? And what is the IMA? Today, we answer these questions on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Got a great guest today who flew all the way down from Idaho, Dr. Baker. Hello. So, Dr. Baker. I feel like I'm on a, a game show or something, Ben. <laughs> you Dr. are. Chan. I, I changed Sorry. my tone. Like, <laughs> people have been telling me I have a, like a podcast tone. All right. So, so Dr. Baker, um, you know, let, let's start at the beginning. How did you get interested in medicine? What drew you to becoming a doctor? Um, I actually had an interesting experience when I was 15 years old. I was really um, into sports for my entire life. And then when I was 15, I tore my ACL playing volleyball. Mm. And so um, had to have, you know, an ACL reconstructive surgery and was in and out of physical therapy a lot. And so that was my first really big exposure to the medical field. And I loved it. And so um, from then on, took some sports medicine classes in high school and then um, and then pursued some other opportunities, even as a kind of pre pre-med even before undergraduate to to learn more about the medical field and really enjoyed that. So prior to that, I had wanted to be a marine biologist, but that, that changed. A marine biologist is, in Idaho. Yeah, exactly. So that was maybe not well thought out. So it was, it was a good move on my part, I think. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. And, so, um, and you ended up coming here to the University of Utah School of Medicine. I Help did. me understand that choice because ostensibly this podcast is for all those Idaho sure. students who are trying to figure out what medical school to go to. And so what, what attracted you to our program? Sure. Well, um, the first thing is that um, I had a great pre-medical advisor up at the University of Idaho, which is where I went to undergraduate school. And in Idaho, since we don't have an in-state medical school, our state board of education buys out spots from both Utah and the University of Washington, which is known as WAMI. And so when, currently we have 25 spots there and eight spots here at the University of Utah. And eight spots were what it was when I was applying. However, that aside, um, I, I really liked both schools but Utah in particular. And um, the reason for that was because I liked the opportunity to be a little bit closer to my family, which is still all in Idaho and some in southeastern Idaho, which is pretty close. And I knew it was a great medical school. I'd heard great things. I'd heard stories about people who'd come down here um, and found it really enjoyable. I thought the weather would be a lot better, <laughs> um, which was true. And... Um, and I also valued the opportunity to be able to go back to Idaho and do some of my rotations there, but not all of my rotations there. And so it was kind of the perfect mix of um, getting some of my education in Idaho, but still a lot of it here. And there's a big emphasis on primary care, which is what I thought I wanted to do, but it's not the total emphasis. I feel still like you, I still felt felt like you could be immersed in um, other specialties and subspecialties. And so I wanted to have a wide variety of um, opportunities to experience different things before I officially made a decision. Um, um, and then uh, Utah was the first place I interviewed. And, of course, you, you come down here and it's amazing. The campus is beautiful. The mountains are beautiful. And so I was pretty captivated and had a great interview experience. And I was sold from day one. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to have the whammy folk on the podcast in a few months. Yeah. But uh, since, you know, this is my podcast, I can be a pro <laughs> University of Utah School of Absolutely. Whenever I'm talking to Idaho students and they kind of ask me about the different programs, I kind of frame it this way. And I said, like, well, you know, in whammy, you, you know, mo like your first year classes are based up in Moscow. And uh -huh. then you have to move to Seattle. Mm -hmm. and they kind of have this rotation system for third and fourth year. Mm -hmm. And I kind of say, like, if you don't mind moving multiple times. Sure. You might be assigned general surgery, like in Kalispell, Montana, or mm -hmm. you might be doing neurology up in Anchorage, Alaska, things like that. 
um, I say go for it if you're kind of more adventuresome. But I always make the argument yeah. if you want to be exposed uh, to many different specialties all within an academic medical center, yes. the U is the way to go. And like you said, you uh, like all the Idaho students who come here, they go back to Idaho to do their family practice rotations as well as part of their internal medicine rotations. Yes. So that sounds like it was true for you at the time as well. It was true for me at the time. And so Where I, would you do your two rotations at? Yeah, I was able to go back. I did my internal medicine rotation with Julie Foote, who's an endocrinologist in Boise, who okay. is still a friend of mine actually. And that was a fantastic experience. I did um, family medicine rotations at the Family Medicine Idaho in Boise, which is actually where I ended up attending residency. And so, so they're still friends with you too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah so okay. they are still friends with me. I like to think so. Right. <laughs> and then um, I did my sub-I at um, the Idaho State Program in Pocatello. And so I had a pretty pretty wide range of experiences and um, and it was it was awesome. And it was nice because I'm, I was still like you said, still based out of Utah, still here in this academic place doing all my other big rotations. And, I, and I didn't have every, to move all the every time. Every four to six weeks. Yes, yeah. exactly. So that was something that I valued. Okay. Yeah. And so it sounds like you decided to become a, a family practice physician. How, mm-hmm. how did you come to that decision? What attracted you to that field? Yeah, well, of course, with my initial my initial exposure to medicine and injury, when I was you know young and a little more naive and in high school, I thought that I would like orthopedics or surgery or something like that. Not that I didn't like those things when I got into medical school, but I kind of, as I evolved as a medical student and, and I started to realize, I guess, that um, I wanted more long-term relationships with my patients. And so that was something that was really valuable to me. Um, and I also liked the idea of not being in residency for years <laughs> or seven or whatever. Um, but mostly it was because I wanted those, the longevity of those patient relationships. I also really liked the scope of practice of family medicine. Um, I wanted to be able to do OB and pediatrics and um everything else and I, I still remember my one of my first deliveries as a medical student I was like wow this is amazing the mom and the baby and then they hand the baby off and then they as an obstetrician they never do anything with the baby again and so then I did a delivery with a family doctor and they kind of did all of it and I just thought that was amazing so that was a big turning point for me where I was like family medicine is definitely where I want to go with this and when I interact I'm not a family practice doctor mm-hmm. but when I interact with the family practice docs they talk about that longitudinal care like mm-hmm. going back to the baby example like the family practice doc can birth the baby. I'm not sure if my English is correct, but then follow that child in clinic. And, yes, exactly. And, and follow that family in clinic, yeah. you know, that's mom and the child. Yeah. So it sounds like that was incredibly attractive. It was very attractive. And in my practice after residency, um, I was doing a lot of that. And the from the deliveries, you know, that you get the mom and they're kind of the first person who establishes care with you. They're kind of the nucleus of the family. And then then they bring their baby to you. You've delivered the baby. You've seen the mom and especially in a, in a pregnancy care setting, you're seeing them for their antenatal care many times. And so you really get a, a good report and a good relationship with that person. And, um, um, and you know, you tend to, tend to, I don't want to say care more about those patients, but you feel kind of differently about those, about those people. And then you take care of their babies too. And that's a really special relationship that you can have with them. And then they bring their other kids to you and then their husband comes to you. And so it is, um, it is a, a really special experience, I think. That's amazing. That's great to hear. Um, so let's kind of step back a bit. So you want to be a family practice doc, and you start looking at residency programs. What? Mm-hmm. Which ones did you interview at? Which one did you mm-hmm. ultimately choose? And why did you pick that one? Yeah, I interviewed. I had some good feedback, actually, from University of Utah medical students that had kind of gone before me and gone to some different programs. So I interviewed at a couple programs out in Indiana, knowing that they were good and that 
previous University of Utah medical students had good experiences there. I can tell you that relationships still exist. Yes. Every year, a handful yes. of our, our students go to Indiana. Yes. And it's just this interesting connection. It is. It is really interesting. And I really liked those programs out there. Um, but I have strong ties to Idaho. And so I that was big for me as well. And so I interviewed at a lot of Northwest programs as well. I had some interviews set up in Wyoming and Colorado and um, uh, one in Montana um, and Oregon, Washington, I believe. And then the the two programs in Idaho, then there were only two. Now they're adding a third. Um, but well, and, and actually it was three programs in Idaho because they considered the Caldwell Rural Track a separate program. So I interviewed with all three of those. All three of those were kind of in my, my top three. So let's talk about those the three programs. Mm-hmm. Which ones are there in Idaho? Yeah. So there's the Family Medicine Residency in Boise. There's the Idaho State Program, the residency there in Pocatello. That's, that's in Pocatello. That's in Pocatello. And then there's there was then one rural track, and, and it was the Caldwell Rural Track. Now there are several rural tracks out of the Boise program. But then when I was interviewing, there was Pocatello, the main Boise program, and then the rural track program, which which is where they did their first year in the Boise residency to get kind of the base peds and OB, et cetera, and then moved out to Caldwell to the hospital out there. Um, and I those I ranked as my top three. It was it was home, and they're all fantastic programs. So which which one did you end up going to? The family medicine residency, the main one in Boise. Boise, okay. And yes. how many how many residents a year? Then there were eight per class. Okay. Now I. Th- was it eight? Yeah. Then there were eight per class. Now it's, it's. I want to say, ten or eleven okay. per class. That's great. Plus they've added rural tracks, and so there. Then you add the addition of those residents, and so it's a it's a very big program, but very very well run, highly functioning program, even That's with awesome. all those residents. So let's yeah. give a shout out to the program. What was your experience? Yes. What'd you like about it? Oh uh, well, I loved the program. One of the great things about the Boise program is it well, and that you can't really say this completely anymore, but it was a totally unop- unopposed program, and so and so everywhere that we went as residents. Um, including both of the main hospital facilities, St. Alphonso, St. Luke's, and the VA, um, there there were not really other residents. There were some residents that um, rotated um, or did a year or two at the VA, which was a great thing. Now the VA has its own medicine program, which is also great. I don't still I don't really consider that as as um, making it now now opposed or something. You still you know the the family medicine residents that rotate through there are still an integral part of that. You still get really good training from what I've heard. Um, but but it was amazing. You go into, you know, St. Alphonsus and the ICU or the ER or whatever, there's not a surgery resident. There's not an ER resident. There's not, you know, these other specialty residents that you're competing with for procedures. And OB was a big one. In medical school, I noticed a lot as a medical student that the OB resident, you know, I, I got more deliveries as a medical student than the family medicine residents did on OB rotations. And so that was something that I really wanted in a residency program at that point, And I definitely got it there. I mean, you are the one that kind of, it's a lot of hands on and you do everything. Um, That's great. And yeah. so just for the people who don't know the terminology, because um, so unopposed <clears throat> or supposed is the way I, I understand it is... Uh, like you said, if you're in a residency program and there's not a lot of um, – if there's not other residents from different programs, you as a family practice resident got to do a lot of the procedures or yes. got to t- take more in different patients' care yes. as opposed to opposed programs. I'm not sure that's the right terminology. Yeah, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, the way I, I The big, big example I like to use is like ER. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of times my friends who uh, did family practice would actually have to do a lot of procedures in the ER. However, that was only true if there was no ER residency. Yes, so exactly. if there's ER residents, 
students, they kind of need to do the procedures themselves to fulfill their own educational requirements. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And still there, that doesn't exist. I mean, the family medicine residents do everything. Mm-hmm. And so they're probably sharing some procedures mm-hmm. in the VA. Um, but there's tons of procedures to go around at the VA, mm-hmm. as is typical of a lot of VAs, I think. And so um, so it, it was fantastic. I mean, I felt like I got really good procedural training. Mm-hmm. Really, I, I had a ton of deliveries in residency. Um, the pediatrics rotation is really fantastic. I think another great thing about Boise, um, and you can look at it either way, but it's not a huge academic place like, um, you know, like it is here in Salt Lake or maybe in Seattle or something as far as, you know, a big university setting. And so um, those, those physicians, that still really want to pursue the academia and teaching, they um, really take an integral role in the residency and training the residents. And so we had extremely strong OBEPs because Mm -hmm. of those um, preceptors and teachers who um, wanted to stay involved in the program. And so um, for family medicine, I think we often heard examples of getting better training than a lot of interns in PEDS or in OB or things like that Mm -hmm. um, because of that situation. So... So I tell all the medical students that there will come a day, and I tell, I tell them, trust me, it will happen, near the end of your residency, where all of a sudden you get all these letters for job offers. Yes. It's the coolest feeling ever. Yes. Because like up until this point, it's always been, kind of, it's been very intense, it's very competitive, and all of a sudden, like, you know, it flips. So, yes. So what happened near the end of your residency? How, tell me what kind of offers you were getting. How did you choose where you decided yes. to work? Well, it's, it, it doesn't even start at the end. It kind of, for us, started in the middle of residency. I was shocked that I was already starting to get letters. I'm like, why well, I still have, you know, a year and a half left of residency. Are you just assuming I'm uh, going to graduate? I yeah. know. Well, one of the great things about primary care and family medicine, particularly, is that there are a lot of jobs out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly in Idaho, we're 49th out of 50th in the, in the nation for physicians per capita. They really need doctors. And so those places that really need physicians and primary care physicians particularly target the residency programs. And so they were just coming in and the, you know, our, um, our, our um, administrative staff really had to kind of filter, you know, what we were getting and, and not getting and, and because it, as a resident, it's hard to, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to do your job and still wade through all of that. So they were doing a little bit of that for us, which was nice. But it was a little overwhelming. But it, they were right. It's also really exciting because you're like, wow, this is real. I'm going to be a real they doctor. They really, know, really like me. I know. All this work is going to pay off and I'm going to have a cool job and do all these things that I've been trained well to do. And so it's a really, really exciting experience. Um, during residency, um, and I had interviewed there as a medical student, the Caldwell Rural Track was... Um, was is one of our is one of our kind of branches off our residency program, and we also have the opportunity to do some of our rural rotation out there. And so I had rotated in Caldwell for both um, a surgical rotation and for a rural track rotation. And I just loved that facility. I loved the people. I loved the scope of practice. I was, I would be in a situation out there where I was doing internal medicine, ICU, seeing patients in the ER, doing my clinical practice, a lot of deliveries with the peds. Um, and so it was everything. That, that I had been trained to do and it was still teaching too and so I would still be able to work with residents and medical students that were rotating out there for the rural track and so that was kind of a no-brainer for me to go out to Caldwell and work there and I loved it so right. yeah fantastic and so you know and we're almost out of time Dr. Baker but 
to kind of finish up, you know, and you know, you have gone to the next step and you become a voice for Idaho physicians. So let's talk about your political activities. So sure. How did that start? I mean, how did you get involved in that? Sure. That was not something that I went into medicine thinking, hey, I want to do that. Um, it was something that I kind of fell into and I'm so happy that I did. And and part of the thing that happened was as a resident, there was an opportunity to be on the Idaho Medical Association Board of Directors um, for the resident position. And it opened up at that time for our residency program. And they sent out an email. My the Ted Epperly sent an email and said, is anybody interested in this? And I said, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I'll try that. You know, it's a two-year position. And so um, I, I, I loved it. It was really fascinating. It was really educational. It really got to the heart of what are the medical issues in Idaho? What are the issues for physicians? What are the issues for our patients especially? That's the most important part that sometimes... It, you know, in the political process, that part gets lost, I think. And so um, I I was fascinated with that, and I love to be involved in that. And so after my two-year position as the resident person, the young physician section um, uh, member of the board actually had aged out. He's still a good friend of mine. Aging out of young physician section is 40. <laughs> I won't give you his name. <laughs> But um, but so then that position opened. So I have I was in that position then for two years, and then I was reelected to that position. So I've been on the Idaho Medical Association board now for five years, and um, I actually testified in the legislature this last week um, over yeah, let's talk about that. over an important bill. Yeah. So th- so um, there was a, a very nice representative from southeastern Idaho area who introduced some legislation about um, having medical students have a payback requirement to Idaho. And so it's not a scholarship or medical tuition program where Idaho is paying for our uh, medical education and or things are forgiven. It was just that you are and you are partaking in this publicly fun- funded education. We're helping you pay your out of state costs for these whammy and University of Utah seats. So you have to come back to Idaho and pay that back. And um, from the Idaho Medical Association perspective, and from the whammy perspective, um, and, and from the University of yeah, Utah all, perspective, everybody was very concerned that that would um, reduce our retention rate for those Idaho medical students. And a big issue for me, particularly being a newer physician in practice, was that um, that makes you, if, if that were true and that that legislation went into effect, it would make it um, so that I wouldn't be able to be eligible for other loan repayment. And family medicine, that's really, and other primary care specialties, that's really critical to be able to have loan repayment options. And so... Um, so I testified in front of the legislature regarding this issue, including about 20 other people, Whammy students, University of Utah students, uh, Mary Bar- Baranaga, who runs the Whammy um, medical program for the Idaho side, and um, uh, Patrice Burgess, a lot of other physicians that gave some really critical testimony, and they actually shot down this legislation in committee rather than having it even go to the House floor. And so it was really an amazing experience. It's the first time I've testified in front of the legislature or in front of a, you know, part of the legislature, I guess, since it was just a committee. Was it was it pretty stressful? I mean, did you take questions or how did that go? Yeah, I I I, um, I was about the eighth person. Um, there was also a state board of education person that, that testified, and some health and welfare or health and welfare person. So I was about the eighth person, and so yeah, I did take questions, um, and there there weren't any questions for me. Um, but what I testified on was my, mostly my experience, why I wanted to go to Utah, and a lot of the things that we've discussed here, and then how that legislation would affect my ability to practice in Idaho. And the key thing is that most of us, you know, kids who born and raised in Idaho, we want to go back. And so trying to um, implement payback legislation, I think, would really be detrimental. 
and really and, and have the opposite effect. And so and so and then I was I've been a recipient of one of the scholarship programs there and things like that. So so I testified on those issues and they didn't have a lot of questions at the end. So hopefully that was a good thing, not a bad thing. But it was a great experience and I've loved being part of organized medicine. And just from a, a Utah perspective, we fully support the IMA as well as yes. Miami mm-hmm. in this initiative uh, to keep on. I, the way I frame it is like, you know, we're America, land of freedom, liberty. Mm-hmm. If you want to go back to Idaho and practice medicine, they should use more carrots than sticks. Absolutely. Loan forgiveness, scholarship Absolutely. programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and research has shown that other states who have implemented these mandated returns, they actually have a drop in their interest. Um, mm-hmm. And we talked to our own medical students here. Years, it's like you know, if you were forced to go back to Idaho, um, would you go? And they and some of them, you know, they would, you know, but they yeah. would feel like there'd be this kind of resentment. Yes. And um, comparing the Utah perspective, we do not require our Utah students, right. you know, to stay in Utah. Mm-hmm. I kind of frame it: look, if you get into residency program back east, or you go, you get, you have a great residency match for you somewhere else in the country. Go practice yeah. medicine, and then because of those Utah ties, most, every, most a lot of people end up coming back. Not yeah, everyone, absolutely. But we, I, I know, to me, like I think it's the goal of every state to make their state as attractive through various carrots yeah. or through various economic initiatives absolutely. to encourage doctors mm-hmm. to move back there. Not so much mandating returns. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have we have some of those programs in place in Idaho and we certainly do need we need physicians there. It's a very rural and very geographically isolated state in a lot of places. Um, so it, that is important, but that just wasn't the right way to do it. So um, so I, I think Representative Packer will probably bring that back and maybe another form and hopefully seek the input of the Board of Education and um, other other entities, whammy, et cetera, um, so that she doesn't cripple some of the programs that we have in place that are really beneficial to those students. Not she particularly, but I, I, I'm, I know she was writing that for her constituents. So so going back to the IMA, what other kind of initiatives are you working on, either for, for physicians or patient care? Sure. One of the, there, there are several big issues. One is we're, is we're working on Medicaid redesign in Idaho. Okay. Medicaid redesign is... Ooh, hot button topic. Hot button topic for sure. And last year, you From know... one red state to another. <laughs> absolutely. And one, one at last year, that was um, something that they thought would kind of go through this year. Now it's an election year. People kind of want to sweep it under the rug. The issue with um, Medi- Medicaid redesign is that it would it would increase the people that were eligible for Medicaid. Okay, so in general, physicians, taxpayers, etc., they don't understand that. They don't like that idea. What it what it essentially does is over ten years, it saves us something like eighty million dollars because we have approximately we we put money now into something called the CAT fund. So we funnel money into this CAT fund. And then there are about 6,000 patients that receive money from the CAP fund. It's an indigent fund. You know, these people aren't getting the preventative and wellness care that they need to make them healthy. They utilize the ER and those kinds of services. And we want to make it so that those people are eligible for preventative care services, and then they don't have to utilize the more expensive emergency services. And so if we were able to redesign Medicaid, it would make it so that they have an option, and so it would actually lower costs significantly. Um, and so that's been a really 
a, like you said, a hot topic, a very important issue um, that I'm, I'm not sure what will happen with that this year. Um, but it's something that the Idaho Medical Association, I think most of us um, that are educated on the issue are, are strongly in support of. That's one big one. Um, we are always also seeking increased funding for residency spots, um, medical school spots. Um, JFAC this year has just approved an addition five spots to whammies. So that's got to pass on the floors. But um, that was another big win in addition to the um, opposition of the payback legislation we were just discussing. Those have been really big hot topics. There's another one um, that we're trying to get passed that's on um, making it a felony for um, people to um, batter. So not just assault, but batter healthcare workers in Idaho. It's you actually um, have a felony if you batter um, a police officer, law enforcement, whatever, but not healthcare worker. And so, um, and so there, that's a, that's another big one that we're trying to get. I have no idea if that, that law is on the books in Utah. Yeah. One, it's one of those. It's really interesting. It's one of those that kind of comes up repeatedly. You don't really realize it. And then suddenly, you know, an ER doctor brings it, to your attention and and the ER doctors and nurses and, and other healthcare personnel, especially in the ERs, are just really um, putting themselves at risk a lot. And so it's it's kind of sad that there's not a, a bigger criminal penalty for that. That would um, exclude disabled and mentally ill patients, obviously. Um, but that's another big one that they're working on that will, I believe will be coming up and hearing this week. So interesting. Well, Doctor Baker, I mean, it sounds fascinating. I mean, it sounds like you've got a you know you got a great practice set up with a lot of different opportunities inpatient outpatient things like that but also you're having a voice in guiding policy decisions the future of you know how physicians are going to be trained treated patient care in idaho so it sounds like a it's a life full of variety it is <laughs> and i'm really happy that the university of utah school of medicine helped you in that journey oh yes me too well i credit a lot of where i'm at to the university of utah school of medicine i feel very fortunate that i was able to mm-hmm. be accepted here i think it's a it's an amazing school and actually i have to tell you last night i was um walking around i just walked around the campus and i just had this nostalgic like you know, I want to do good and I want to, you know, be the best doctor I can be. And it's really great to come back down here and kind of relive some of those feelings as like I'm a first year medical student again. And so, um, so I owe a lot to the University of Utah School of Medicine. It's a great place to be. Fantastic. We'll, we'll have you back in the podcast in about a year and we'll hear an update how the, how your practice is going as well as how the IMA is doing. It's various various programs. All right. Thanks, Dr. Baker. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.